Michael's Fowell, a gospel-centered community for Fowell, Teddington, and beyond. Our passion is to see every life following Jesus. For more information, visit our website, stmichaelsfowell.co.uk. Now we're going to come to the part of our service where we turn to God's Word. So uh, this is a uh, Bible, should be sat near you, and we're looking at a part of the Bible called 1 Corinthians chapter 1 which is right near the back. I hope Dan's got the page number for us, actually. And Dan is going to read that to us, and then Ed, our vicar here, is going to come and preach to us. Page 1144, 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, 18 through to 31. 1144. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written... I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demanded signs, and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were called or what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, and the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Amen. Dan, thanks so much. Good evening, all. Lovely to see you. Brilliant. Well, do do keep 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 open. And we're going to spend a little bit of time in there there now. And um, let me pray. Let me pray as we we come to, to God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the message that you have for us to hear this evening. That is, it is the message of the cross. And Lord, please help us to see afresh just how extraordinary, how radical this message is. How it is your wisdom, your power for our good and the salvation of the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Well, here's a question. What are you impressed by? What are you impressed by? What sort of impresses you? This weekend, just over the last couple of days, I just sort of pulled out a few things that I was quite impressed by uh, seeing. Uh, here they come up on the uh, screen. I was pretty impressed. Sorry about this uh, for some members of the church family here. It's a little bit painful. Uh, England v. Wales uh, yesterday at Twickenham. And uh, what impresses me watching a game of rugby is just how incredibly courageous people are. Have you ever thought about the prospect of spending three seconds on a rugby pitch uh, in an international like this? I'd be absolutely terrified. I mean, the courage of these people is quite incredible. Um, Here's something else that has impressed me uh, recently. Uh, One of my favourite podcasts, The Rest is History. There'll be some Rest is History fans out there, I suspect. And uh, Dominic Sandbrook on the right, Tom Holland on the left. They're just incredibly impressive. I mean, they know everything about everything. Um, I used to be a history teacher, as many of you know, and one of the most questions I'm always asked is, um, you know, do you know about this? Or people are gutted when I'm in their quiz team and I don't know history. And I kind of say, a lot has happened in history. I don't know everything. (laughs) Yet these guys seem to know everything. They know everything that's happened in history. And they are unbelievably articulate and brilliant in terms of how they talk about it. It's so impressive. Um, someone, someone else quite impressive here uh, over this weekend. I don't know if you saw this story uh, over the past week. It's a matchstick Eiffel Tower made by a chap called Richard Plaud. Um, it took him 4,200 hours to build over eight years. Uh, it's 23 foot tall. Uh, it was made with over 700,000 matches. Um, extraordinary. I mean, you kind of think, why are you spending so much time doing that? But it is still, it's an incredible feat. Uh, absolutely stunning. Uh, I'm very impressed by the skill of uh, this chap, uh, his persistence, his creativity, his discipline. It is really quite impressive. Uh, I think he, he was disqualified from the world record, the Guinness Book of World Records, because he used the wrong type of matchsticks, and then that decision was overturned during the week. You'll be relieved to hear. So, poor Blake, I mean, after eight years, that must have been horrendous to think, oh no, I got the wrong matchsticks. Uh, but it all turned out fine in the end. Anyway, those are some things that I think, looking out there, people in this world, incredibly impressive. The gifts, the talents, uh, the beauty, the creativity, the courage, so much to admire, so much that is so impressive. And, and it's good to enjoy those things and those sort of people But that is not how Christianity operates. This is not how Christianity operates. Christianity is incredibly subversive. It turns all this stuff on its head. And this passage that we're looking at here tonight will show what what is really impressive. What are we to be really impressed by? And um, God takes, we're told in this passage, things that seem very unimpressive, weak stuff, unimpressive people, and he uses it to change the whole world. He turns what is weak and uses it with great power. He turns what seems like folly and it turns out to be the greatest wisdom of them all. He turns what seems to be utterly unimportant and insignificant into something of supreme importance. Christianity operates in a totally different way to how we operate so much in the world, how we view the world. And all this is epitomized by 
the cross. The cross is right at the center of this passage. Uh, Now, to give us a little bit of context here, uh, if you haven't been uh, with us or, understandably, probably completely forgotten what we were talking about last week, uh, let me just tell you a little bit about uh, where we're up to here in 1 Corinthians. And uh, this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to the church in Corinth, and they have all sorts of problems, not least their disunity. Uh, There are all sorts of factions within the church. There are a lot of egos kicking around, a lot of pride. Uh, They seem to be impressed above all else with themselves. And in this section, Paul is reminding them that the heart of the Christian message is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Jesus Christ and him crucified. And in reminding them of this, what he does is to completely subvert and undermine any possibility for self-importance that they might have. He sort of pricks their pride and their ego. This pride and ego that's so often the cause of disunity. And instead what he does is to point them towards Jesus. And in doing that, we'll bring them back together. So um, we're looking at two headings today. Uh, Always a joy to have a gap fill to put in. And uh, the first is this, the message of the cross. The message of the cross, looking at verses 18 to 25. And the cross, I mean the cross, it just seems incredibly unimpressive. Uh, Crazy, foolish, weak. But what we read here, in God's economy, it's powerful. It is wisdom. It saves. Let me read from verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's tricky for us in the year 2024 Uh, Many of us, most of us here Christians, it is difficult to quite grasp how radical the message of the cross is. Uh, We've been so influenced by it, uh, both ourselves personally and our culture as a whole. Uh, Many of you might have read uh, Glenn Scrivener's The Air We Breathe, often quoted. It's uh, a book that we had as Book of the Term not so long ago. And he he says this about the cross. It's, It's important to see this inside, I think. He says this, the way we see the cross has been revolutionized because the cross has revolutionized the way we see. Now, as we see the cross and we don't realize how ridiculous it would have looked to somebody in the first century uh, because we've been so influenced by the revolution brought about by the cross. I'll say a little bit more about that in a few moments. But think about it like this. Here's an illustration. In your mind, imagine that someone from ancient Greece or ancient Rome or first century Judea wandered through our doors this evening and was sitting amongst us. Just sort of came in, just sort of wandering around the neighborhood, checking out what's going on. You know, Doctor Who, Time Machine, all that sort of stuff. And uh, here they are. And what do you think they might notice about our building? I mean, they might enjoy the festoon lights, of course. Uh, They might enjoy a good coffee, cup of tea. But they'd probably be thinking, what's that all about? What is that all about? You're a bunch of people gathering together to worship God. And at the center, you've got a cross. 
And you've lit it up as well. You obviously really, really like this. What, what's going on there? They'd be completely bamboozled by it. It would have seemed so strange, so foolish. Uh, that's an instrument of torture. That's an instrument of humiliation. And yet here we are, gathered around the cross. That they'd have seen it as folly. We see it as the power of God. At verse 19, Paul writes this. He says this, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? That's really speaking about, as it were, the Jewish intellectual. Uh, Where is the philosopher of this age, the Greek intellectual? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? So here we go, um, asking these questions. You know, these, these people who would have been top of their game, intellectuals, the Jewish intellectual, the Greek intellectual, where, where are they when it comes to understanding God and this world? goes on, verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. So what Paul is saying here is that the world in all its wisdom, Jewish intellectuals, Greek intellectuals, the leaders, in all their wisdom, they never managed to get to know God. They didn't know the real God. And yet, how did God make himself known? He made himself known through the message of the cross. Actually, we get a sense there of um, the, the, the mode through which the message is brought through, through preaching. Uh, it's not obviously the only way, but uh, here is Paul talking about preaching, uh, what seems so sort of ordinary, so not flashy, just someone declaring the truth of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And through that, it's the power of God, the wisdom of God to save people. Now, it's just worth saying, a little aside here, this is not an excuse for uh, boring sermons, by the way. Um, and it is striking that where Paul speaks about the, the ordinariness of preaching, um, he was someone who worked really hard at communicating really well. Um, I love this quote from Andrew Wilson, who, who makes this point um, about Paul. This is what Paul was like as a, as a communicator. Paul proves himself a master of punchy, witty, direct, well-illustrated, concise, rhetorical, funny, and incisive communication. So his, his is an argument for recognizing where the power to save really comes. So in other words, what is extraordinary about the message of the cross? It, it just gets preached. There's nothing particularly special about preaching, about declaring this message, although we want to work really hard at doing it really well and in a way that engages and connects But the point is, the power, the power for lives to be changed is not in rhetoric. The power is in the message. It is in Jesus Christ. It is in him crucified. Verse 22, Paul goes on. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. Uh, two, Two sort of different ways of one might have thought in the ancient world, this is, this is how change happens. This is how we understand what's really going on. Uh, the Jews then, they wanted signs. 
sort of big, dramatic, powerful things to happen, whether they might be supernatural, maybe political. And through that, to really understand what life in the universe is all about. Greeks, well, what, what route did they go down? They went down this sort of idea, we need wisdom, we need logic, we need reason, we need good rhetoric, we need good thinking. That's the way to understand the meaning of life. Uh, that's what both of them are after. But Paul says there's something very different. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Paul's saying what we need, we don't need massive political events to change everything and to tell us about the meaning of life and give us life in all its fullness. We don't want to expect massive sort of supernatural signs. We don't need to be all about simply logic and uh, reason and science and stuff like that. Uh, All those things could be good things. But where does the power lie? Where does the wisdom lie? The wisdom lies in this message about Jesus Christ and him crucified. Verse 25. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. I love again Andrew Wilson's comment on this. He says this. The most apparently ridiculous thing that God has ever done is, it turns out, far smarter than the cleverest thing that human beings have ever come up with. I think that's what it's saying there. Uh, the foolishness of God, what people might think is foolishness, the cross of Jesus Christ, uh, being at the centre of everything that we believe, well, that is actually wiser than the best human wisdom. It is actually stronger than the best human strength. And that is true. I think history bears that out, and I think our personal testimony bears that out. First, that is true for the world as a whole. Again, a quote from Glenn Scrivener, which I think will help us with this. Just think of how this message about Jesus Christ and him crucified has transformed the world over these past 2,000 years. He says this, Paul and his other first century contemporaries persisted with their foolish preaching and remarkably, they gained a hearing. Over time, their belief that Christ crucified was also the power of God began to look less and less ridiculous because the power seemed to be at work. A movement was beginning. First, minds changed, then lives, then communities, then cultures, then everything. Eventually, this foolish message became the most influential in human history has been remarkable the impact that the Gospels had on human history. Like this sort of tiny little thing. Jesus Christ dying on the cross over 2,000 years ago in an obscure part of the world. It's like this little acorn that is the power that's just grown and grown and grown and grown. And actually Glenn Scrivener's book, amongst others, is really helpful for helping us see just the radical understanding this has had in the, the air we breathe, the culture we live in as so much of what we take for granted. 
has been shaped by the message of the cross. Uh, the dignity of all human beings, the equality of all human beings, the worth of everybody. The whole idea that compassion, care for those on the margins, is a good thing. Uh, the importance of consent, coming out of the dignity of human beings. The importance of freedom. Uh, Glenn Scrivener goes into all these sort of different areas. Another person, again, to go back to my favourite podcast, and Tom Holland, who's not actually, I think I'm running saying, he doesn't profess Christian faith, but he um, has done a remarkable job, I think, particularly through his book Dominion, if anyone's read that, at showing how the cross has had such a dramatic impact upon human history, and particularly the way we think in the West today. Uh, Here's a quote. I love this quote that he says uh, about it. Uh, Just sort of seeing what a radical thing this was. It's worth saying, Tom Holland, his specialism is ancient Rome, the ancient world, ancient Greece. Uh, He loved all that stuff. He he talks about how he he loved the the power of it, the the stories about their gods, and and, and just sort of almost the brutality of it was so really interesting to him as a child. Uh, and then he realized that the world he lives in today is nothing like that world of ancient Rome. And that something's changed it. And what's changed it? Well, he says it's the cross. Here's the quote. Let's read the quote. It is the audacity of it, the audacity of finding in a twisted and defeated corpse the glory of the creator of the universe. That serves to explain more surely than anything else the sheer strangeness of Christianity, and of the civilization to which it gave birth. All are heirs to the same revolution, a revolution that has, at its molten heart, the image of a God dead on a cross. It's hard to argue with that the cross, the message at the heart of the Christian faith, has radically, it's a radical message that has changed so much of our world today. But it's not just our world around us. The power of the cross is something that if we're following Christ, we will know for ourselves as well. If you're a Christian, this seemingly foolish message has turned your world, your life, upside down. And I know, I know from knowing you that that is true. How you have testimonies, so many testimonies in here of how the cross has turned your life upside down. The way in which the cross has declared to you God's unconditional love for you. The way as we look to the cross, you know that your sins are completely forgiven. That Christ has paid the penalty that you deserve. He's paid it. It's done. You are forgiven. Your sins are washed clean. The way in which Jesus' example on the cross has given you and me a radical roadmap for how to live. We do it thoroughly and perfectly. But it's completely changed the way we think, the way we feel. That's a great question to ask one another. How has the cross changed you? And I know it would have done so in so many ways. That Jesus died in our place, showing his love, his sacrifice, his substitute for us, so that we received his righteousness. That's changed 
our lives, turn them upside down. So the cross, it, it is so unimpressive in so many ways. Certainly if we put on a first century mindset, and yet here it is, we put it at the centre of our church life. It is the power and the wisdom of God. It's changed us, it's changed human history. That's the thing we're spending most of our time on, the message of the cross. It seems so unimpressive, yet it's the power and wisdom of God. Secondly, more briefly, the people of the cross. The people of the cross. What is true for the message is also true for God's people. That stands to reason. God's people are to reflect the message. And uh, I warn you, as we read this again, it's not especially flattering about us, this, okay? So um, be prepared for that. Uh, But this is what Paul says to the Corinthians. Verse 26, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Um, We know um, from the letter to uh, 1 Corinthians that the people who were Christians in Corinth, they were mainly from uh, the poor. Not totally, uh, but mainly. And so that is why Paul is able to say, uh, look, you guys, in terms of sort of how society understood itself how people viewed one another back in Corinth in the day. Look, you guys, you weren't really that influential. Uh, Not many of you were noble birth. Clearly some were, but not many. Um, By human standards, people have seen you as fairly foolish, fairly sort of on the margins, not that significant, not really movers and shakers. And yet God has chosen you to shame the wise. And it's true for us as well. It's true for us as well. Here at St. Michael's, here across the church in the UK as a whole, how many of us are, by human standards, really influential? How many of us are of noble birth? How many of us are social media influences, uh, columnists for national newspapers, uh, shaping the stories? How many of us are big-name celebrities? Yes, wonderfully within the church. Yes, some. That is wonderful. But not most of us. Most of us are pretty ordinary people. But God, amazingly, in his economy, chooses to work through people like us. That's always how God has done it. And it's it's important to remember that. I remember growing up, the sort of sheer excitement around someone like Cliff Richard professing Christian faith, thinking... There is a man. Do you, know, do you remember Cliff Richard? There are some nods, certain generation, others. Who is that person? Very famous musician. Influential, you thought, Cliff Richard's a Christian. He can save the, the whole UK. Just has to go on telly and tell people about Jesus and everyone will become a Christian. Poor Cliff Richard. To put that burden on him. That's not how God tends to do it. God tends to work through ordinary people like you and me. He takes the weak, the lowly, the unimpressive and through the power of the gospel, through the power of his spirit at work within us, he shames the 
so-called wise and the so-called strong of our society. Why does, he, why does he do it like that? Well, verse 29 tells us, so that, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. So that no one may boast. What is wonderful here, whilst, whilst Paul says, look, look how ordinary Christians are, he also declares how extraordinary we are as well in Jesus Christ, isn't it? We have in Jesus Christ a righteousness given to us by Jesus Christ, that before God we stand perfect. We have Jesus' righteousness. His perfect life is given to us, imputed to us, is the technical term. Uh, We are called to holiness. Uh, One day we will be fully perfect in the new creation. Our lived experience will be fully perfect. Uh, Now we're growing that way. We're being sanctified bit by bit. So we're righteous, we're growing in holiness, and we are redeemed. We are free. No longer slaves to sin. What an enormous, extraordinary dignity we are given. But here's the point. We are given it. We're not to boast. Verse 29. This is all about Jesus. It's not about us. We're not the impressive peoples. Jesus is the impressive one. Which takes us to verse 31. The sort of conclusion that he wants to land. Remember this Corinthian church. Full of pride. Full of egos. Full of factions. And he says this. Therefore, as it's written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. If we're going to boast, if we're going to talk anyone up, let's talk up Jesus. Let's not talk ourselves up. Which is not easy. (laughs) That is not easy for us to do because we all have pride. We all have egos. Uh, One one thing just worth thinking about, when, when we give our testimony, when we talk about how we've become a Christian, even when we just talk about what the Lord is doing in our lives, Here's a question just worth us thinking. Who's the hero? Who's the hero? Who's the one that really comes out well uh, from this? Is it Jesus Christ or is it us? It's easy to sort of talk in terms of, well, you know, I found God rather than actually it's God that found me. Or I lifted myself up from the pit rather than it was God who reached out to grab me. Who's the hero? The hero is Jesus Christ. And he's the one who came and died for us. Christ crucified. And what is wonderful is as Jesus is elevated and we give way to him, that brings the church together. There's a beautiful unity. Egos get diminished. Pride goes down. There's less defensiveness, less divisiveness and more unity around Jesus Christ. So who are you impressed by? More than anyone else, let it be Jesus Christ and Christ crucified. Next week we'll be thinking more about the significance of that, of Jesus being crucified. But his death, that is the thing that's so impressive. 
that God made himself, humbled himself to becoming a human being and then descended to death, even death on a cross. Taking our sins, redeeming the world, and then he rises again and he sits in glory and he will return and he is the one we're all about. Let's be impressed with him. Well, I wonder if the band might come up because we're going to sing um, too obvious a song to sing, really, but it's a wonderful song to sing. When I survey the wondrous cross, we want to focus on Jesus. We want to focus on the cross. And as we focus on him, as we sing this, it's a wonderful song to declare what we want to be as we go out into a new week. So why don't we stand and let's just take a moment of of quiet. I'll lead us in, in, in a prayer and then we'll sing when I survey together. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Father, we thank you so much that in your wisdom, you are saving and changing this world and each one of us through the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Lord, we praise you for who you are, for the way in which you are saving this world. Lord, help us to look to the cross now, to know there your love for us, the forgiveness that we have, and this amazing model of how to live, giving ourselves up for the sake of others. Lord, we praise you for Jesus and for him crucified. In his name we pray.